The scripture reading for today is from the New Testament, Revelation chapter 21, beginning with the first verse. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them, they will be his people, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. Those who conquer will inherit these things, and I will be God, and they will be my children. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I'm going to give you a chance to respond to this service, this sermon as you feel led. What we're going to do is uh, what's called a service of healing and anointing. It's a ritual that's been around for thousands of years. It's prescribed in the Bible. So as you are listening to me today, and if you feel so led to come forward when I call, I'll invite you to be ready for that and to see how the Lord is speaking to you these next few minutes for, these, uh, for this time of healing. Uh, so let me preach the sermon. Uh, the sermon that we have today is really part two of a series that we have started on the Beatitudes of Jesus. You know, these sayings in Matthew chapter 5 that introduce Jesus' great Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are they. And last week we began this series and we, we talked about the very first saying of our Lord, which was, blessed are the poor in spirit. And uh, we retranslated that. As kind of Jesus saying, you know, blessed or happy are those who do not make their lives about wealth or material things. People who are not addicted to money and to the things that money can buy. And now today we're going to the very next saying of Jesus. We didn't read it again, but it's, it's all been pointed to with our other readings. And the very second of Jesus' Beatitudes is blessed or happy are those who mourn. Blessed are those who grieve. And if you really think about that one, that's as counterintuitive as the first one in our culture. I mean, we would never say that in American culture. Happy are those who mourn, right? We know, we know this. We would say, well, and we do say things like, no, uh, happy are the healthy. Happy are the comfortable. Happy are the thick-skinned. 
Happy are those who have lots of fun in their lives. But Jesus says, actually, no. Happy are those who shed tears and who grieve. I mean, what's that about? I think we can um, retranslate this beatitude, and I'm not the only one to do it this way, but I think the essence of what Jesus is getting at could be translated like this, that Jesus is saying, happy or blessed are those who are not addicted to feeling good all the time. Blessed are those who are not addicted to feeling good all the time. And you know, my brothers and sisters, when we were looking around our culture, are we addicted to feeling good all the time? Yeah, actually, we are. Think about our culture's fixation on health and wellness. Think about the flood of stimulants in the marketplace now. All of the energy drinks. Think about all the addictions we have to substances of various kinds or, or addictions to adult content online. Boy, it's there. Feeling good all the time. It's what we think we're about. Think about uh, like the, the marvels of technology, which uh, this is a good thing. Uh, think about the marvels of moder- modern medicine. All of these things are very good. I'm, I'm glad I live in an age where medicine is what it is, but it's done something to us. It's made us start to believe that we actually have a right to a pain-free existence and that we should avoid suffering at all costs. We should always feel good. It's a part of our culture now. We even sometimes think of worship. We come to worship. What's the point of worship? Well, it's to make us feel better. We should feel good. We should feel picked up when we come to worship, and, and, and yet, if you think about it, I mean, this is to deny reality, especially the reality that we are mortal. We are limited creatures. Suffering in this world is just inevitable for limited creatures like us, and when we begin to deny this or fight this or try to hide this reality and instead make our lives all about pleasure-seeking, thrill-seeking, adrenaline highs, feeling good all the time, we will find ourselves actually caught up in another cycle of addiction, looking for the next fix, The next feel-good fix, one after another, after another, after another. And in our constant pursuit, in our addictions to feeling good all the time, we will actually find our lives kind of trapped. And the pleasure-seeking ends up becoming despair and misery and meaningless. We, We just feel meaningless. And that's what constant pleasure always does. Constant pleasure all the time, all the time, one thing after another leads to this cycle of despair. And yet our culture still says it is your right to feel good all the time. You should be feeling good all of the time. And yet to enter the world of the Bible, as soon as you open up your Bible, you're going to enter a world full 
of tears. Rachel weeping for her children. Jeremiah and the prophets weeping over the people of Israel and what they're doing. Jesus weeping at the grave of his friend Lazarus. I mean, think about that line that we saw this morning in Psalm 42, a powerful line that my tears have been my food day and night. So, you know, the Bible is a book of praise. It is a book of rejoicing, but it's also this book that's full of tears. You know, in the ancient world, especially the Greek world, there was a philosophy called Stoicism. Still around today. We just don't call it Stoicism as much anymore, but the Stoics, what do the Stoics believe among many things? Well, what they believed is that when pain or suffering happens to you, you got to be thick-skinned. Do not be moved by what's happening to you. Do not grieve. Be strong no matter what. Push through. And isn't it true that Stoicism is still around today? How many of us were taught to be strong, be strong, be strong, be thick-skinned? And yet the Bible... The Bible is not a philosophy of Stoicism anywhere at all. The Bible is a book filled with tears. Actually, this is my thought for today. The Bible is actually a school. And the Bible is a school that actually wants to teach us how to weep and how to mourn, how to face our pain and our discomfort, and our sufferings in life, and yet to confront these things with great hope, knowing that the pain in our lives, the suffering in our lives, the sorrow in our lives, these things are not going to get the last word. The Bible wants to teach us how do we weep and yet do so with great hope. It's a school. It's a school. Here's something that I learned this week um, when I was studying this parable, I mean, excuse me, this beatitude that I did not know before, and it's how the ancient Christians interpreted this beatitude of the Lord, blessed are those who mourn. You can go back 1,000 years, 1,500 years, you can fact check me on this, go home and Google it, and how they understood this was striking to me. The ancient Christians believed that when Jesus was talking about mourning here, that he was primarily talking about the mourning over our sins. Happy are those who mourn over their sins. Now that's curious. How many of us have ever mourned, grieved over our sins? I mean, we've kind of come to think of our sins as being pretty trivial or not that big of a deal. You know, we recite the prayer of confession every week. Okay, moving on, check. Not that big of a deal. You know, we, we, we kind of, we're pretty good people and, you know, I'm okay and you're okay. We're all okay. It's really not that big of a deal. But, my friends, that is not the story the Bible says at all. The Bible actually says that you and I suffer from this deep affliction, this condition where we are, we're all about ourselves, we're, we're self, 
preoccupied and self-absorbed, and as a result, we hurt others, and then there's this ripple effect when we hurt others, and they hurt other people, and next thing you know, the world is just broken because of this, and that we want, we want to do anything in this life except one thing. We do not want to follow God, period. And yet throughout the scriptures, God does what? God just keeps reaching out. He keeps reaching down. He sends the word, his word, the scriptures. He sends the law. He sends the prophets. They keep preaching to us until finally he sends the word made flesh, Jesus of Nazareth. Maybe now they will listen to me. Maybe now they will come to me. And what did our sin do but say, no, we don't want you at all. We nailed the Lord to the cross. I mean, look at that cross. Look at Jesus' body there. That's what the sins of the world did to our Lord. That bad? Yeah. Actually, yeah. Grieve this. There's a word in the Bible um, and in church history that we don't really speak of that much. Maybe you've heard this word before, but it's there. It's in the scriptures. It's called contrition. Contrition. Being contrite. You ever heard this word before? Contrition. It simply means having a kind of sorrow for one's sins that, you know, I've I've hurt myself, I've hurt others, and I've turned my back on the Lord who loves me and created me and who desires to be in relationship with me, and I've I keep turning away over and over and over again. And and see, contrite people, when you have contrition, contrite people, they just just don't want to sin anymore. I don't want to sin anymore. I want to live a life where I'm not doing this anymore. And they don't want to sin anymore, not because they think, oh, God's going to smite me now and he's going to... He's going to send a thunderbolt into my life. No, they're not afraid of God. That's not why they don't want to sin. They don't want to sin. Those who have contrition, it's because they realize just how good the Lord is. How wonderful the Lord is. How gracious God is. He he poured out everything to save my life. He sent his only begotten son to save me on the cross. And they don't want to hurt the Lord. They don't want to grieve him anymore. And it brings them this sorrow when they do this. One of my favorite verses in a Psalter, we could have easily recited this one instead of Psalm 42. It's Psalm 51. Man, read Psalm 51. There's a verse in there where King David says, a broken and contrite heart the Lord will never despise. That the Lord loves a contrite heart, a heart that oh, sorrowful for what pain it has inflicted upon itself and on others. And see, here's the paradox, everybody. When you have this kind of contrition, when you are sorry, you have this sorrow over your sins, you know what it means? It means God is really close to you. You know, God is a light. I think there's light shining on me right now. God is light. God is light itself. And when the light begins to shine on you, as it's shining on me, you begin to see. The light of God begins to illuminate you. It begins to illuminate your life. You begin to see what's really in your heart. And you see your motivations. And you see who you really are. And it's tough. It's tough to see these things. But in God's light... You know, you see yourself as you are, but yet it means you've actually been invaded by grace now. 
You have been invaded by the love and grace of God. That light is trying to embrace you, even though it is exposing who you are. And I'm going to tell you, I have had conversations with people over the years, and they will, in moments of great vulnerability, which I am so enawed by, you know, they'll, they'll say things, they'll confess things, and, you know, they'll grieve at the things they've done in their lives or that they've done to other people's. And, and you know what I say to them? I say, my brother, my sister, God is really close to you right now. Blessed are those who mourn over their sins. That's how the early Christians understood this because they're the ones, they're the ones who know, who know what it cost our Lord to save us. They're the ones who understand the depth and the riches of the grace of God. And those who have a sorrow for what they've done, they will also have a sorrow, a mourning over what the world is doing to itself. Those who grieve over what they've done to the Lord, over their own sins, they're gonna, they begin to notice the sins of the world. They see the pain of the world. They see the brokenness of the world. They see the injustices of the world, and it gets to them. It grieves them when they see this. Jesus, when he looked out into the world, he didn't say to the crowds, hey, everybody, be optimistic, keep your chins up, you're okay, everything's great. No, Jesus didn't say that. Jesus looked out at a world that is just caught in the darkness and says, how I long, how I long to gather you into my arms the way a mother hen longs to gather her chicks to herself, but you will not let me. You keep running away. So those who mourn over the pain of the world, you see these things as a mourner. They're the ones who begin to see the world as the Lord sees it. But if you're all about pleasure, all about fun-loving, and all about adrenaline junkie and all these things, nope, nope, you actually will not notice what the Lord notices at all. And the Lord sees the brokenness of the world. And if you become close to the heart of God, you will begin to see the brokenness within yourself and the brokenness of the world as well. You mourn. Nicholas Wolterstorff, I, I don't want to talk too much longer, but Nicholas Wolterstorff was a professor at Yale, and he lost his son. His son was in his 20s. He fell, had a mountain accident, and he perished. And Nicholas Wolterstorff had a book of reflections. It's called Lament for a Son. I commend this to you if you never read it, Lament for a Son. It's just unbelievably good. And in the middle of this book, Nicholas Wolterstorff said this, who are the mourners that Jesus is talking about? The mourners are those who have caught a glimpse of God's new day, and they ache when confronted with its absence. The mourners realize that in God's world, no one should be hungry, and they ache when they see someone starving. The mourners are the ones who realize that in God's world, there should no one be falsely accused. And they ache when they see someone imprisoned unjustly. The mourners are those who realize that in God's world, no one should suffer oppression. And they ache when they see someone beat down 
The mourners are those who realize that in God's world, there should be no one without dignity. And they ache when they see someone treated with indignity. The mourners are aching visionaries. The mourners are aching visionaries. They see the world through their tears, and they see the world as God sees it, a world that's so in need of redemption and healing and wholeness. I would say in the end, the mourners Jesus is talking about here are the lovers. They're the people who've loved. And there can be no love in this life without some form of suffering. You can't love in this life without pain, without it costing you something. You know, married couples, you know, you're 20, you think you got the whole world in front of you, you're in love, and it's wonderful, and we celebrate that. But then the day comes where one of you will be in deep grief. There, there just cannot be love in this world. You can't give your life away and your heart away without risking having it broken. And yet the mourners of the world are those who have taken the risks of love. The very way that God took the risks of trying to love us, even when it led him to the cross, he did it anyway. I think the last thing I'll say to you is, The words from one of my favorite Christians, her name is Therese. I've mentioned her to you before. She's one of my teachers. She died when she was 24. But she said this, The good God has told us that on the last day, he will wipe away all tears from our eyes. That's what our last lesson was. The good God has told us that on the last day he will wipe away all tears from our eyes and without doubt the more tears to be dried the greater will be the consolation. That's beautiful. God's going to dry every tear. He's going to dry every tear you and I have ever shed out of love. Taking the risks of love and the more tears you and I shed the more God will dry those tears and That's our comfort. I mean, suffering by itself means nothing. It is meaningless. But the mourners are blessed because they're the ones who will be comforted by God. He will dry our eyes. But I'll tell you this. God's going to dry our tears, but I still believe that there are going to be tears. There has to be tears, even on the last day, even in heaven. But they will not be tears of sorrow. They're going to be the tears of joy. Happy are you who are not addicted to feeling good all the time. Happy are you who can confront your pain with hope. Happy are you who know that it's worth taking the risks of love and that God will comfort you. Okay, as I said um, earlier, I want you to have a chance to respond as you feel led. All of us come broken. All of us have our own pain in life. But the church in the scriptures tells us that to call upon the elders of the church and to anoint those who need healing with oil. And the prayer of faith will save those who are suffering. So as you can see, we have our pastors here. And 
In a moment, I'm just going to invite you, as you feel led, if you would like to be anointed, we'll do that. And it's simply a sign that the Lord is close to whatever grief, whatever pain, whatever suffering you have in your life. There will be a pastor for those in the balcony, but if you in the balcony would like to come to the altar instead, please know you are welcome to do that. If you choose not to come forward, that's okay too. But I do ask you to pray. Pray for those who will. So the invitation is open. Come. The Lord is close to those who are in grief.
In response to God's word this morning, as you are able, I invite you to stand as we affirm our faith using the traditional words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. The Lord is always ready and wants to hear our prayers. And I would invite you and remind you that uh, in your worship or attendance booklet and also in the seat backs in front of you, there are prayer cards. And if you have someone or a situation that you would like for us to be in prayer for, I hope that you'll take a few moments and take that prayer card and write those concerns down and drop them in the offering baskets when they come by in just a few moments so we can be in prayer for you throughout this week. Please join me in prayer where you are seated, or you may join me at the altar as well as we go to God in prayer this morning. Let us pray. Almighty God, we gather today in thanks that you came to live among us in Jesus Christ and that as your word tells us you promised to dwell with your people eternally and that even though we may now suffer trials we believe in your grace and we pray for the salvation of our souls Lord in your mercy hear our prayer loving God we pray for the strength and the welfare of your church for the unity of your people. We pray for peace where there is conflict, for provision where there is need. We pray for safety where there is danger, for healing where there is sickness, for connection where there is brokenness, for love where there is hate. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Gracious God, we pray for our leaders, leaders of our church, leaders of our nation, leaders of the world. Lord, give them wisdom. Give them humility. Give them courage to shepherd their people in ways that glorify you and lead us on paths that reflect your will. And here in our congregation, 
Lord, we pray for your blessings on our own ministries, which seek to share your love and your grace and your abundance with our community and around the world. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord Jesus, we have heard that your special blessings are for those who mourn, and so we pray today for all those who grieve and mourn, those who grieve the loss of loved ones, recent and in months and years past. We especially pray today for families who have been devastated by earthquakes in Puerto Rico and in Turkey, for families in China impacted by the coronavirus. We pray for those who were sad and and wounded by broken relationships and the failures and disappointments of life. We pray for those suffering job losses and feelings of helplessness and hopelessness. And God, as is our custom, we lift aloud now into this space our own concerns as we pray for. Loving God, comfort all who mourn with your presence and with your peace. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Living Lord, thank you for stepping into our darkness and for giving us your light, the light of Jesus Christ. His light which offers us hope. His light that illumines our path and leads us to life. Life that is eternal. And so God, now hear us as we pray the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. All good and perfect gifts come from above, and so we now have the opportunity to give back to God part of what he has given to us as we invite our ushers forward for our tithes and offerings.
Gracious God, your generosity overflows. Accept these, our gifts, so that with your blessing we may use them to proclaim Christ in our community and beyond. Amen.
now let us recite our mission as a church saying, we will be the body of Christ in our community through worship, education, fellowship, and service. And now go forth and glorify the Lord with your life. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, now and forevermore.